story. Welcome to Pilot Boys, the podcast where we review the first episode of the TV shows. My name is Caesar, And my name is Michelle. And I'm Gabriel. And for the first time, we're recording in one room. We rented a studio. <laughs> <laughs> and today we're doing Maniacs. It's the singular. Is Maniac. it singular Maniac? Yeah, it is Maniac. It's only one Maniac. <laughs> so today we're doing Maniac, the new Netflix series. That has Jonah Hill and Emma Stone. And it was created by Carrie, Joji, Fukunaga. Fukunaga, and Patrick Somerville. And if I remember correctly, it's uh, it's adapted from a like Belgian, Norwegian thing? Norwegian. So, I guess we'll start off, what did you guys think? Like, what are your first impressions? Gabby, would you like to start? I know you, you already said. Oh, uh, I thought it was very slow and it was a lot more centered on jonah hill's character owen uh-huh. but i mean the first episode was very slow and i didn't really get into the first episode at all i don't know i thought it was kind of weak for a pilot mm. i don't know i feel like there's parts of it yeah. that i liked but other parts like i felt like the show is gonna be super pretentious i already know yeah. it but like I'm not gonna lie, I like pretentious ass shows, so I was like, this is kinda cool. Even like with Emma Stone's character in the opening scene, I just already don't like her character. You like, don't the like way her? she's acting. Oh. Like, like how her how her character is written, I just didn't Yeah, I feel like we did I feel like we didn't really get much of her. Like yeah. you said it was mostly like about Jonah Hill. Yeah. So like especially like the way that it's framed, it looks like the only reason that she's there is to like as a plot device, like she's just pushing his plot, you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm gonna completely disagree. I fucking love this first episode. I was enthralled from when it started to when it ended. I'm not saying I hated it. Like, I enjoyed watching it, but as I was watching it, obviously there were issues I had with it. Since the first scene when it had, like, that, like... The guy talking, the narrator? Yeah, yeah, it gave me... Uh, like Hitchhiker's Guide vibes, where yes, like they're I got explaining the, how the universe started and shit. No, nah, but I, I, I was so into it that I'm like inspired to write about it. The thing is though that like with that first intro, the Hitchhiker's Guide esque intro, it just it made it so- seem like it was gonna be funny, and I didn't think it was all that funny. It's kind of sad, like. Oh no! Yeah, it's yeah. Not you funny. just seeing Jonah Hill's character go through, and he's obviously not all there, and it's just very depressing to see what he's going through. I mean, I think he's great in it. Like he's he, obviously like he's doing a great job in this yeah. role. Like it's very believable, but it's yeah. just really dark and sad to see what his character is going through. Another vibe that I kind of got from it. I don't know if you did. Was uh, Mr. Robot? Yeah, but it was just because it's like I can't trust. But a little like wittier, not as like doom and gloom as Mr. Robot. That's true. But the thing that I got mostly from it was like the that you can't really trust what's happening on screen because mm. you're like, is that what's really happening or yeah. is it like like happening? untrustworthy narrator? Yeah, exactly like that. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into the themes, let's do a quick recap. So the first episode is about Owen Milgram, who has agreed to testify for his brother, but 
since the beginning of the episode, we see that he's like dejected and depressed. And there's also the subject of having been committed or having like a an he's, episode, yeah, like a psychotic episode. Yeah. yeah, like a mental breakdown. Yeah, and then we see him lose his job and he finally decides to get involved with this experimental drug thing where like they test drugs on him but we also know that he's from like a wealthy background yeah so from there he gets to the facility and he's gonna start testing and he meets emma stone's character which is annie landsberg and jonah hill's his psychotic lapses because he sees his brother right yeah. yeah. He sees his brother telling him that he's like a secret agent. And he keeps saying this refrain, the pattern is a pattern. I, he, he thinks that Emma Stone is in on it. So he asks her about the mission she and she confirms though? it. So that's where that's where it is. So we don't know whether or not she's in on it or not. Which is, it's a little vague. We don't know what the mission is. Yeah, I don't think she's in on it. I like know. I said, like, because of like, like the Mr. Robot-ness to it, the, mm. the you can't trust the... Mm. The narrator i thought like he just kind of saw her kind of accepting it but she might have just like done it to calm him down yeah like gotten her like gotten him off her back yeah i think she's very obviously like her character type is like a con woman like yeah she seems to just the way she was presented she seems as someone who keeps doing these trials over and over to, like, get extra cash. And she initially didn't like Owen because he was kind of staring at her. And she kind of thought that he was onto her, her game. And so, yeah, it kind of seemed a little bit like she was just playing along to, like, get him off her back. Or she just based on how her character was set up, it looked like she already knew that she could manipulate him. So mm-hmm. she did it, like, very quickly. Mm. So another thing that I noticed is the style is kind of like her, the Spike Jones movie with uh, Joaquin, Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Like, it's, like, light sci-fi. It's not, like, super crazy sci-fi. Mm-hmm. It's, like, sci-fi-ish. It's, like, modern but futuristic. At the same yeah. Time. I get you. And that's one of the major things that I saw, and, like, stylistically, but also just the world building. Like, it's not super sci-fi but it's like a a world in like 10 20 years from now yeah that's what i got like a like a 10 years from now uh world yeah i mean we've seen a lot of those like light jump into the future kind of things like parks and rec did it when in their last season like where they went a couple like 20 years in the future um casual has done it weeds has done it sorry to bother recently came out and they did it why do you guys think that that like slight jump into the future is starting to be a little more popular versus like the crazy back to the future jump into the future kind of thing i think it's i guess in right now just because it's not that far off from where we're living now so maybe people just like out of curiosity find that very interesting and they want to see something like that being detailed on television because those are things that can happen since we're not completely far off from those times yeah i I think think that's that's a good point and that's kind of what i was trying to lead you guys to like what do you think it says about our current like cultural climate either as americans or as citizens of the world that light sci-fi is kind of in 
I think it's just, like, the whole idea of, like, this could actually happen. Whereas, like, before, like, when we've done, like, future pieces, like, I remember when people were like, oh, at this point in Back to the Future, we were supposed to have, like, self-lacing shoes and hoverboards yeah. and all this stuff, and none of that happened. Whereas, like, the light future stuff, like, our technology's already kind of there, they just haven't pushed it there fully. It's yeah. more realistic. Yeah, so with light future, yes. it's like, this could potentially happen in ten years. Yeah. I also think that we should note that the regular sci-fi hasn't really gone out of style either. Like, we recently had uh, Blade Runner that did it. I guess, I don't know if this counts as light sci-fi, but War of the Planet Apes did it. There's, like, things that are still in the future and that really hasn't gone out of style. Passengers with Jennifer Lawrence, that was kind of light sci-fi. Handmaid's... What, do you, what about Handmaid's? What do See, you that one is... I think that one's considered more, like, light sci-fi because mm-hmm. it's still in the realm of, like... Possibility. Yeah, and I think that's... I think I'm glad you guys brought that up because reality is supposed to be what they're going for because, like, when we see regular sci-fi, it's supposed to be an exact... Like, a gross exaggeration of what's to come. It's, like, almost a slippery soap of if we don't change what's going on now, we'll soon end up in, like, 1984 world. Yeah. I think light sci-fi also leads, like, people to you know feel some some kind of fear and i think that's why it also works because yeah. a lot of the light sci-fi things we see now on tv i mean they're pretty dark yes so i think that's why a lot of us do enjoy those kind of shows because it does make us think that hey this can happen and we're not that far off from that yeah and there's even i mean there's even some whimsical ones i think sorry to bother you is kind of like funny so the premise is sorry to bother you it's essentially just he gets a job at this telemarketing company which is like supposed to be like a stand-in for like amazon mm-hmm. and they have like really shady like moral like violations of human labor oh, okay and that's all i'm gonna say that's what you get from the trailer i don't want to spoil it because it's an insanely wild movie but that one and i think also this one and i'm just gonna jump into the big theme the one that like inspired me just by watching this is when i watched this first episode I saw that what this show was trying to say, or what I believe the show was trying to say, is that the value of human labor has gone down significantly. We don't care about people as people. We just see them as labors, almost like batteries. And, and like what The Matrix was trying to say, where like we just want humans as batteries. This show also kind of wants that. Like we just want lab rats. Like what we really need is just bodies. We don't really care about them as like people. We just need their labor to experiment or to you know do various different things like and sorry to bother you they are literally the the largest and continually growing global you know like titan conglomerate conglomerate. that's also like sorry to bother you supposed to be like a direct relation to what's going on in oakland and the bay area where a lot of people are being displaced by all the like tech bros and shit like that so i think this show and then also, sorry to bother you, are supposed to be direct responses to that. Like what's going on with Amazon right now, where the workers are being violated and the news is covering it. These shows are in that line of like human value. Human labor is really devalued right now because we're so entrenched in our consumerism. Like the cost of having one hour shipping or same day shipping is that all these people are in a factory in shitty conditions. I just bought 
<laughs> three things from Amazon today <laughs> with one day wow. shipping as an option. <laughs> I can't talk shit because, like, honestly, like, when stuff doesn't get there in two days and I'm like, yeah. why am I paying for products? Where's my like, crown what? for my costume? Well, that's so, like, the yeah, issue. we're part of the Where's problem. Where's this Etsy woman? 100% we're part of the problem. <laughs> that's the issue. It's like, what's the cost of yeah. convenience? Is that people either lose where they're where they're at or they get grossly there's like these gross violations of labor and i think that's because it's our direct relationship with consumerism yeah so i think this show is trying to channel that sentiment of like there is a price to consumerism there is a price to convenience and for him i think what's interesting about the show is that they're centering someone who doesn't value his life obviously because he's depressed and he's just not for this world, it seems like. So he's just doing, like, what he needs to do just to make a quick buck. And if that means, like, Putting killing his, himself yeah. and testing these horrible drugs on himself, he'll do it. And I think they show that really well in the scene where his family's having dinner. Mm-hmm. And he kind of breaks and he starts cussing and there's kids around and someone yells, oh, he's off his meds. When his dad automatically, you know, he thinks about uh, Owen's character not having money. And he just asks him, like, is this about money? Do you need money? Your apartment's really expensive. But it's never really about his mental health. Yeah, it's everything to him mm-hmm. that he sees. And this is back to the consumerism stuff. Is It's all transactional. Mm-hmm. Like, every one of his relationships is like, I want something. I want something from you. Or you have to give me this for me to mm-hmm. give you that. Even when he talks to, um, I don't know her name in the show, but Jessa her character yeah well, she just talks about or he tells her oh let's just take your was it husband's money yeah yeah and we'll just run away together and we'll buy a house somewhere out where nowhere no one can find us and you just see like he needs security so he'll get it any way he can yeah did you want to add anything michelle no i wanted to ask what was up with him and his brother's wife like yeah it seemed like that? she wants to he wanted to fuck her but he was oh, that's like, his brother's wife yeah, yeah that's okay. his brother's wife Jessa, Jessa, yeah. Jessa is uh, Jemima Kirk. <laughs> Jemima Kirk, yeah. Is it Jemima? I think so, yeah. Or something Jemima? Kirk. No, dumbass. What the fuck. <laughs> uh, one of the things I noticed, and maybe it's because like I'm in an Adam Sandler like headspace because his new special just came out. He reminded me a lot of Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, where he's like this totally super dejected person. Yeah. And he's surrounded by like. He's just constantly... Im- well, for Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love, he was emasculated because he was with his sisters and, like, they constantly, like, belittled him and he just felt like he wasn't, like, his own person. But here, it kind of seems like his belittlement comes from his family, particularly his brother, who just, like, kind of makes him feel... Is like, it just one brother or is it multiple? No, that was his whole fucking family. Yeah, all all, brothers, all those right? were his siblings, yeah. Okay. Even his mom... Like, his mom, when she brings up the... You love Bulger Dash, which is like a game. He's like, I've never liked it, no. And, and I think one of the things I like the most about the show is just seeing how well Jonah Hill portrays like this totally like he has no hope for life. Yeah. Like even the way he speaks, he doesn't even have any effort. He just kind of whispers everything. Yeah. Even the wrinkles under his his like eyes are. Convinced. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I'm like, looked, are those real or like? He looks weird. Yeah, he looks super emaciated. He looks like he's he, he hasn't eaten in like eight yeah. years. What happened? I wonder if it's his it's makeup. All gone downhill. <laughs> Jesus, why? Can Joe not? 
I want to stick to that theme of like consumerism. How do you guys feel about that? Like, how do you guys feel that this show reflects what's going on in the current climate? I mean, we have. I worked with Amazon. I see the cost of what this convenience. Yeah, you're not cost. supposed to say you worked for Amazon. You're I worked say, for. Amazon. I worked for a company that you. Why they're not going to sue me for that stuff? It's How like, would you sue me that for that? Rhymes with. Amazon. <laughs> I have out. I have no problem saying that I've worked for Amazon. Um, Amazon, don't come for us, please. You can kind of look at Nike as well, and you know, with the whole Colin Kaepernick thing, everyone's like, "Yeah, buy more Nike." But you also need to like take a step back and look who, look into who's making these products for you, and how much they're earning, and and if they can even earn a living. Like, yeah, we're out here buying and supporting, you know, a great cause, but at what expense? And I think you can think about that too, because there's probably people who aren't getting paid what they should be to make these products, and Nike's selling them for what, like ten times the amount they're paying them. Okay, I see where you're going, and I think that that is part of the conversation. It seems a little like on the periphery, but I think to tie it together is yes, you are right. No, you are right. Yes, those those kind of those kind of things. That's the cost of labor. Like someone is going to be exploited no matter Mm -hmm. what. Yes. But at the same time, I think that what happens is, like, there's such a concern or there's such a focus on, like, we have to monetarily support yeah. certain certain causes. So we use the dollar as our politics. The vote with your dollar thing? Yes, but I do think that that's still part of the issue with consumerism is we think that we can solve everything by just buying yeah. it. Yeah. And I think what this show is trying to show is that, like, there is kind of an emptiness since the beginning of the of, of this like the first scene where there's like kind of nothing like an amoeba that's just alone to we till we see Owen and he's just kind of dejected like I think it's it's there's this emptiness to trying to support things monetarily um, it's kind of like you want to throw money at an issue instead of like truly caring for these humans are like truly valuing human life mm-hmm. and i think that's that's one of the costs of i mean i'm not gonna go as far as say like capitalism is wrong but that is one of the costs of capitalism is oh, where there, there are certain there are certain casualties in capitalism and what sucks is that these companies know how to do it so well where they'll exploit the consumer into believing that this is the only way you can support the cause yeah and it's just sad to see that that's what a lot of people believe but i mean but, like that's the point of capitalism there has yeah. to be like a winner and a loser but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a good thing no i'm not saying it's a good thing but like i'm i'm going off of what you said that like you're not saying like capitalism is bad but i'm saying in capitalism there has to be a winner and a loser and that's why it plays out this way yeah and all right, let's shift over to the class issues. So we've already identified, like, that there's this huge conglomerate who's testing drugs on people, and we also see that Jonah Hill is kind of in like the elite, or his family's kind of rich or well off. Emma Stone. I mean, we don't know. I, I mean, think so, I think because so because she's yeah, she was struggling. struggling, right? She was trying to pay for her cigarettes with the ad thing. Yeah. Yes. And oh God, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. So th- see, I think that there's a lot to work with here, and I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Me and Karen talk about this a lot, but like we really like high concept shows. Like 
things that really try to go out there, even if they don't always stick the landing, like, I don't think that this show is perfect. I mean, it might be a little bit. I really like the first oh episode. <laughs> but I like when people really throw themselves out there, especially if it's, like, it has, like, a moral or, like, I wouldn't say a moral because I don't think it's moralizing. But if it has, like, a connection to what's going on now. And mm. this this show is trying to tackle what's going on with, like, the issue with Facebook and them selling your data. And also, like, what's going on with the devaluation of human labor mm-hmm. in the middle class. And I think you can see there's a huge difference between how Jonah Hill's family lives, who are kind of these, like, aristocrats. And, like, they play a bulger dash, which is just seems like it's, like, a very privileged kind of sport or game and they have like these lavish dinners and you see jonah hill in that he's just not comfortable in that space because he i think it goes back to his family just kind of wanted to like buy him or like fix things with money and that's also part of this issue with consumerism that i think also kind of led jonah hill to this headspace where he's just depressed all the time because you can't fix you can't buy love for your children like you can't just throw money at your children you can't buy and expect your way out them. of depression exactly either. and that's that's an issue that's going on a lot now too because there's the issue of like latchkey kids where they have a lot of money and some of them could be well adjusted like it seems like his brother although he looks kind of like a sociopath or someone who's like that a piece of shit night. yeah he is I, I really like that guy by the way um well, I mean, he might there is be something up with his brother. Yes, but that's why they're trying to like buy his testimony. Or... Yes, but again, let's let's, sorry, sorry. let's stay on track. So, yeah, so I think that it could work for some people because there there is that like that padding of money, and it could work for some people. But for other people, that there needs to be that connection, that like familial connection, where you develop as a person. And if you don't have that, it could stunt your growth. And for Jonah Hill, it seems like it did stunt him. Yeah, it, it just feels like a performance in his family. Like, everything needs to be a performance and nothing feels genuine when, like, they're all together. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's, this, there's this emptiness to his world. Yeah. And there's this emptiness in this world. And it's not even just him, though. Like, you see it also with Jemima Kirk's character. Like, she's taking some sort of drug before the dinner because she can't stand being around his family and like those conversations she just wants to feel numb while that's happening yeah Yeah. so it's not just him that's experiencing this so there's definitely something wrong with the way his family you know behaves or brought them up there's something there yeah and i also think that it's it's interesting that like the main character we get to identify with is jonah hill who's like this depressed person but we look around and like I think that the world is kind of whimsical. It's not super, like, depressing the way that Mr. Robot is. It's not that depressing. Like, there's still some jokes in there. The guy who was like, yeah, I got, like, we're in the group that has, like, the best testing. Like, this is the best. Like, <laughs> this is one of those dudes that, like, kind of swallowed the Kool-Aid. And Pirates is like... Kai Payoff? That dude? I guess so. The one that has the condoms? Yeah. The guy who has the condoms, yes. He's He's looking at, like this is fucking fun. Like I'm having a fun time. And there are some people who are like that. Where like, they're just like, I'm just doing this. I'm going to make my money and I'm going to be good. But there are other people who like, they start to see like the strings and that they see that they're being exploited 
like their human labor isn't valued. But that dude just doesn't give a shit. I mean, it's, I, I don't want to. I don't know if this is a reach, but it seems like he's just one of those dudes that just happily, like very blissfully ignorant, lives paycheck to paycheck. Because the reality is that like, people who work in those situations, that's all they could care about, and that's their only real reprieve from their labor being exploited or their bodies being destroyed for 40 hours a week. And I think he's supposed to be one of those people who are just like happy working and they make ends meet and then they'll drink on the weekend or they'll have a good time on the weekend. And then it's back to the grind. It's like this like Sisyphusian cycle. But yeah, I think, I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that there is like, that is a reality for some people. And I don't think there's, really truly anything wrong with that i mean my opinion i don't think that's the way you should live it shouldn't just be let me just get the work week over with and just go all out on the weekend because that's your only time of freedom like that just feels kind of like i don't know it's a little sad Mm. i mean if that's the only thing you're looking forward to i'm just like thinking like i wouldn't want that life for myself where i'm working 40 hours a week and i'm like dying at the end of the week and the weekend's the only time I get to go out, so that's the only thing I'm looking forward to. And it's just like, no, there should be other things I'm looking forward to besides, like, two days out of the... Isn't that I mean... a privileged stance, though? True. I think, it, I think, yeah, What you definitely are privileged. Like, we have to admit, our privilege, like, we're, oh, no, 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 I'm saying, like, we're people who are educated, we're people who have, like, extra income, like... I work on weekends, so it's not like I'm looking forward to the weekends, you know? But even at that, like, I don't think... I'd be like, oh my god, yes, the weekend's coming. Like, let me go out and like have a ton of fun and drink. So that's I don't, the only thing I'm looking forward to. I don't think there's anything wrong with people who like look forward to the weekend and work all the time. I just think it's wrong. Not that it's wrong, but I feel like they're delusional when they're like, well, I don't give a fuck about anything as long as yeah. I get my money, which is what that guy seemed like. Like, he didn't give a fuck about like what happened to himself. Like, as long as he got his money, which makes no fucking sense, because it's like, how are you going to put your whole life, and how are you going to put your whole life at risk just for this? That's what I have a problem with. I don't have a problem with people just enjoying themselves on the weekends and working their asses off, like, the weekdays, because I feel like most people do that. Most people do the 40-hour work week, Monday through Friday. I think as long as it's healthy. So let me just exactly, add that. Like, yeah. as long as it's healthy, but, if, like, you're doing it in a very unhealthy way where you're pretty much killing yourself for the weekend, then I don't necessarily think that's the best. But some of us don't have that, like, any other option. Like, that's all we have. Yeah, and that's so, what I'm saying. That's yeah. A, I think that's a privilege point. Yeah. Be, like, uh, that's a little sad. Well, yeah. I mean, okay, look, I'm going to agree. I think that, to an extent, it is sad. I'm not saying that they're sad for yeah. doing that. I don't say I, I pity them. But I think that it's me as someone who like is educated is identifying an issue with a system. I mm-hmm. think that the system of capitalism breeds this cyclical nature where we look forward to a time off yeah. because we are being exploited for labor. And I mean, that's not to say that like we are like slaves or things like that, but I do think that there is like People who are more, like, artistically inclined are obviously going to be like, oh, I could never do that. I could never, like, work a 40-hour week and, like, just be miserable. Like, of course, those people sound like idiots and they sound super wow, pretentious. attacked. But at the same time, like, I get why people do that. Like, I think that, yes, that guy is opportunistic and wanting to get paid his money and dip. But at the same time, like, 
that is what gives him like a small little yeah. pocket of happiness. And I can't blame people for that. I but, can't blame people who want to just live for the weekend because some people just can't get a better job or maybe they just don't have the opportunities or the luck to get something that's really like that's going to better their lives financially. But do you think that sometimes there's a choice or do you not? I mean, not in all circumstances, obviously, but do you think sometimes like when someone has a choice, do you still stand behind the way they think and... I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I do think that to an extent there is a bit of will in it. Like, mm-hmm. I think that people should want better for themselves. Mm-hmm. But again, I do think that that's a privileged standpoint yeah. to be like, you should want better for yourselves. Yeah. Because I'm not a fucking teacher. I'm not going to tell you how you should live your life. Yeah. Because I don't think it's my place. And I also feel like saying that I, I'm, I'm really truly against people who try to take their experience and, apply and to try to apply else. it to someone yeah. else. Because I don't think that always works. Yeah. And particularly with how you live financially because like we know people who have gotten help like nepotism or things like that where you just get a leg up and that's that opportunity Mm -hmm. is it catapults you it catapults you and it's it's helpful and not everyone has those opportunities and that's part of the the problem with privilege it's like the self-made man theory where you're just gonna think oh everyone can do it if i can do it that's not how it's gonna work for everyone and i i don't think you can place those expectations on everybody and just think lower of everybody because you did it yeah but at the same time i also don't think that like (sighs) i'm not gonna judge someone who missed an opportunity because they just didn't know it was opportunity or they just like squandered it because that's that happens. That's a real part of life that you don't always know when an opportunity is an opportunity and you can squander or other things got in the way. And I think we're kind of getting off track a little bit. But <laughs> I think that what this show is really like tackling is these stark differences, these like dichotomies of like great wealth and like lower income or like working class people. And also, like, well-adjusted and people who are just totally dejected and depressed. I think those are some of the dichotomies that they've presented already. I think even if Emma Stone is probably a sociopath or a con woman, she's pretty well-adjusted to this world. She understands the game of this world, and she knows how to survive and live in it. While Jonah Hill is the complete opposite, where, like, everything is just not working out for him. Family's not working out. Job isn't working out. He's just doing what he has to do, and he's trying to do whatever he has to do just to to live. Do you think it'd be a lot different if they had casted like, if they had casted people of color? Do you think their experiences and the way they wrote the characters would be a lot different than Emma's and Jonah's experience in the show? See, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think "Sorry to Bother You" is this in a people of, in a person of color story mm-hmm. because it's about this character named Cassius Clay who just starts working at this it's not a factory but it's like a telemarketing job and he gets really good at it and then he starts selling to like he becomes like an elite seller but in the midst of that there's this revolution going on and i'm not going to spoil the entire movie but it's this he's almost like the same character he's not depressed as much as jonah hill is but he's kind of like i think what cassius cassius is is he's more complacent versus Jonah Hill is just, like, cynical and doesn't give a shit about the world. 
Cassius is like, I need to make my money so I don't get kicked out of my uncle's house. Mm-hmm. So my uncle doesn't get evicted. Or they don't like foreclose his home kind of okay. thing. So yeah, I do think that there is, if you were to add the element of like people of color. There's different angles. There is, but at the same time, see, look, I think one of the things that like people of often or one of the, the groups that people often write out are poor people, poor white people, mm-hmm. because they are some of the people who struggle just as much as certain groups of people of color, because mm-hmm. class issues are very entrenched in people of color issues. Yeah. So I think that poor white people often get written out of this equation. And I think for the most part, they're kind of the casualties in like this culture war. Maybe it's just like, I don't believe it with Emma Stone. What do you mean? Like, I don't believe in the show that she's poor. Just, like, I haven't accepted that factor just because I know who Emma Stone is. So maybe, like, casting someone completely different would have helped, I think, for me. So it's just a casting issue for you. Yeah, I think for me, like, it would have been a lot easier to believe it if it wasn't Emma Stone. Because I already know Emma Stone and I know she's a wealthy woman. So more than anything for you, it's like, you couldn't suspend your disbelief. No, I mean, like, Jonah Hill, obviously, like... I don't know. I mean, he's a rich white dude in the show, but he's great at what he's doing. But with Emma Stone, I just couldn't get there. Mm. So basically, Emma Stone's a shitty actress. No, I just think because I know who Emma Stone is, I just couldn't believe it. Okay, I, I could see that. I, I See, for me, like, because as you guys mentioned, like, she wasn't even really in the first episode yeah, that much. True. It didn't really bother me. Yeah, my, same. My, my focus was all Jonah Hill and, like, his story. And I was so, like, wow, this is like a... They're, they're really kind of mm-hmm. going out there, like... And that's how they hooked me. So Emma Stone's story wasn't, like, as great to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll admit that. So what do you guys think is going on with Jonah Hill's psychosis or, like, his brother? Because I think, so since the show starts off with, like, the Big Bang or, like, the amoeba starting and it created life. And then it goes to what's going on with, like, Jonah Hill's brother and, like, he has this mission and the refrain is... The pattern is a pattern. It kind of seems like there's like this grand scheme going on that's like connected to this huge power conglomerate that's testing on people. And like Jonah Hill's kind of like sees himself as the hero of the story. I don't know. I get that like Jonah Hill knows, like he knows what he's getting himself into, right? It feels like he's trying to sabotage something from within. At the end of the episode, that's what I, I interpret it, that scene as. Like, he yeah. knows what they're doing, and he's there for a reason, and it's not just him being, I lost my job, and this is my last resort. Like, he's mm. there for a reason. And I think that's when he kind of, you know, breaks, and that's when he tells Emma's character, and that's when she tells him, you know, just stay in your pod, you're going to blow our cover. But that's when you don't know whether or not to believe if Emma just did that to get him off her back, or she's actually in on what they're doing. And his brother has a bigger role to play in this than just being like a like a figment of his imagination. Yeah, but just best based on the pilot, what do you guys think is the brother's role as like the imaginary friend? He's Mister Robot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably why you you got that whole yeah. That's vibe, right? also why I got that vibe. Which I guess is kind of a spoiler, but everybody kind of knows, right? It's the first episode. That's not. Oh, you're talking about Mister Robot. Yeah. Whoops. I feel like he wants to be uh, different. He wants to be the savior or whatever his brother's telling him to be. So he's projecting this idea of his brother and, like, what his brother would want. Like, it's what he really wants, but he's created this character that's his brother that's telling him that that's what he should do. 
It's a way to reason with his actions. Yes, exactly. It's also like this essentialism where Jonah Hill defined himself by what his brother isn't. I mean, I'm saying, like, based on his relationship with his brothers, like, it seems like that's kind of why he has such a, like, bruised psyche. Oh, so you think he was, like, the nice brother and the nice brother died? Either that or he's the mean brother, the meaner brother, and he still kind of haunts him. Nah, I kind of got the the guy that's on trial is an asshole. Yeah. I didn't get the asshole thing from his dead brother. Really? I thought that was the... Oh, it's not the same person. See, because, okay, if, if, we're, if we're to think that he's projecting, and he's like the Tyler Durden, right? He's like, I fuck how you want to fuck, I look how you want to look. Is is that brother also not, like, better than Jonah Hill? Like, is that brother also not someone that Jonah Hill wants to be? No, but you could also take it as, like, Jonah Hill's, like, so self-deprecating on the show, and his brother is, like, supportive of him calling Jonah Hill special and telling him that he's there to save humanity, and that's what Jonah Hill really wants, as opposed to being self-deprecating Jonah Hill. I mean, we're, we're we don't know based off, yeah, the first episode. It's yeah. still very much a mystery. You're wrong. So, predictions. (laughs) Alright, so let's get into the rating. So, uh, on this show, we usually do a rating 1 to 5, and our rating scale is Broken TV. So, on a scale of 1 to 5, what do you guys give it? I will give it a 4.5. Okay, motherfucker, but explain yourself first. I was gonna explain after. 4.5 Broken TVs? Yes. God damn, why would you give... Just like, no... Did you give Sharp Objects a 1? What did you give for Sharp Objects? Like 4.8 or something? No, damn. I think you were low. 4.2 or some shit like that. Okay, alright. So, 4.5. Explain why. Okay. Um, I... What what really bugged me is that we got nothing of Emma Stone's character. That was, like, a major reason to dock it. That was it. (laughs) See, I think not getting much of Emma's character kind of helped the pilot because Jonah... So Bitch, you say you didn't like it. Okay, no, no, yeah, okay, wait, wait, wait. You only like it now because we're talking no, about no, no, it. No, 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 I'm saying in the first episode, that doesn't mean I thought it was a great pilot. I'm just saying I think not releasing Emma helped out the pilot because Jonah Hill's uh, acting was so well done. Like it helps highlight his acting. Yeah. So I think focusing on Jonah Hill for the first episode might have helped it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I still didn't like the pilot all that much. Why not? I just wasn't very into it it just i don't know i think it just kind of made me really like sad watching jonah hill like play out that character because i don't see jonah hill like that so it's just very weird seeing him like that and it wasn't really about people i cared about i mean like his family really annoyed me so i wasn't there for them emma stone's character was kind of add to me too because of the casting so i don't know i think i'm gonna give it like a 3.5 3.5 broken TVs? Okay. I want to say. That's actually not bad, though. It so wasn't you, the you worst. Said, you said 4.5? Jesus, yeah. she went high. You were not very, like, passionate about your explanation, though. Anyway, so, I really liked this first episode. I thought it was, I mean, Netflix, to me, is probably one of the best in the TV game right now. And I think if they keep putting out stuff that's so, like, challenging and difficult like this... I think they're going to continue to be, like, mixing things up. Because I think this show is so off-kilter. It is not what you expected. It is not this traditional kind of, like, story about this depressed person. It's, like, a difficult story about someone who's dealing with depression. Sure, there are elements that we are already familiar with. Like, 
um, like imaginary friends and things like that. But I thought it was told really well, and it has like this intrigue with like this brother who's imaginary. So I think it's one of the best pilots this year. I'm gonna give it a four point five. Also, is Netflix an HBO Ooh. contender? No, I don't think so. They put out too much Drek. True. But before that, let's get into the predictions. How long do you see it going? Last. Um. Maybe like this just, just like, saying how long. Maybe like two, three seasons. Okay, it's a mini series, so you're wrong. Oh, yeah, I was about to say. So, so we don't have to do lies. that. All right, well, let's wrap up. So everyone has to go. Um, thanks for listening. Catch us in the next one. Leave a five star review on iTunes. Bye. Thank you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Peace. Bye.